Hello, and welcome to the Nutrition Diva Podcast. I'm your host, Monica Reinagel, and this week we're considering various ways to customize our diet to account for our individual differences. This is the era of personalized nutrition. It's not about figuring out which diet is healthiest for humans anymore, because two people can follow the same diet and have very different results. Our genes, environment, health history, even the environment and the diet that our parents had before we were even born, all of these influence how our bodies respond to foods and nutrients. So how should we go about customizing our dietary recommendations for each individual? In the past, people have proposed that we might base our diets on our blood type or body shape or maybe even where our ancestors hailed from, and none of these have really stood up to scientific scrutiny. More recently, as medical technology has advanced, diets based on DNA profiles or microbiome analysis are making the rounds. Some of these are still pretty speculative. Others have some solid science to back them up. If you're a longtime listener of the show, then you may have heard previous episodes that I've done on several of these approaches, including the blood type diet and DNA-based diets. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on those by going to our archives. You'll find a complete transcript and recording for every Nutrition Diva podcast, all 554 of them, at quickanddirtytips.com. And in this week's transcript, I've included links to several of those past shows just to make it a little bit easier for you to find them. Just a couple of weeks ago, though, I talked about a company that has developed and validated an algorithm that can predict your blood sugar response to various foods based on an analysis of your intestinal flora. And in response to that episode, one of my nutrition colleagues, a registered dietitian named Nancy Teeter, made a very astute observation on my Facebook page. People can know their perfect diet, she pointed out, and still choose not to follow it. This is a point that often gets overlooked in all the excitement about personalized nutrition. I work with people all the time who know full well that the dietary choices that they are making are not supporting their health. They know what they should be eating, but knowing better doesn't always lead to doing better. I think we often kid ourselves that having more information will result in making better choices, especially if that information is highly specific to us. And this is why people sign up for nutrition counseling. But as most nutritionists and dietitians that work with people one-on-one -on -one will tell you, very little of their counseling consists of telling people what they should and shouldn't eat. It ends up being mostly about helping people figure out how to bridge that gap between knowing and doing. Despite all the variances between individuals, there are some universal truths. You don't have to sequence your DNA or analyze your microbiome to know that foods that are high in added sugars, fried foods, highly processed foods are not ideal for the human body. If these foods are still a big part of your diet, it probably makes sense to start eliminating them before spending $500 to find out whether your intestinal bacteria prefer apples to oranges. And if you're not willing to take those first obvious steps towards a healthier diet, how much good would a personalized dietary prescription based on your genes really do? Your genetic profile and microbiome might offer a few insights into which dietary approach might be optimal for your biology. But I think it's even more important to optimize for non-biological factors, such as your preferences, your lifestyle, and your priorities. 
My friend Jay, for example, struggles with a strong genetic predisposition toward high cholesterol and diabetes. He really wants to manage these issues without medication as much as possible, which means that for him, diet and lifestyle are key. Now, interestingly, he has had success with two diametrically opposed approaches. A few years ago, when his blood sugar levels were starting to cross that line between pre-diabetic and diabetic, he took the low-carb route. He eliminated virtually all sugar and most grains, starchy vegetables, and legumes. His diet was mostly meat, eggs, and vegetables. His weight and his blood sugar dropped impressively. But after a year or two of this, they started to creep back up. And part of the problem was that he found it difficult to sustain this strict low-carb lifestyle long-term. And so he did a complete U-turn and he switched to a vegan diet. Although he still moderates his sugar intake, he now builds his meals around grains and legumes, foods that were mostly off-limit on his low-carb regimen. And this too has worked like gangbusters even though it's pretty much the complete opposite of his previous approach. He lost weight, his cholesterol improved dramatically, and his blood sugar dropped enough to keep him off meds. Both approaches require giving something up. But over the long haul, Jay was more willing to give up meat and eggs than he was to give up grains. Now, which one of those approaches might a DNA or a microbiome test have suggested for Jay? You know what? Who cares? Both approaches worked well enough for his body, but one of them worked much better for his preferences and his lifestyle, making it far more sustainable. Winner, winner, chicken-free dinner. So which diet is best for you? Well, I predict that the science and the technology around personalized diets will continue to evolve and become more accurate, but those advancements won't change what Nancy pointed out. Knowing what diet is best for us doesn't necessarily make it any easier for us to follow it. So here's another way to personalize your diet. What sort of foods do you enjoy? Which are you indifferent to? Some people would be happy to go the rest of their lives without potatoes as long as they can have steak, and others are exactly the opposite. Are your tastes more adventurous or conventional? Some people love exotic flavors and ingredients, while others prefer plainer fare. All of these can be important clues to your ideal dietary approach. That's not to say that you could never branch out and try new things, but an approach that is completely outside of your comfort zone is going to be hard to sustain for long. As soon as things get busy, we're likely to revert to our more familiar and comfortable patterns. So let's at least start by creating the healthiest possible version of that baseline. It's not just about your taste preferences, though. It's also important to consider how eating a certain way makes you feel. For example, Compare how you feel after eating animal foods, which tend to provide more protein, and how plant-based meals, which are usually higher in fiber, make you feel. One day you might have eggs and vegetables for breakfast, and then top your salad with grilled chicken at lunch. And another day you could have oatmeal with nuts for breakfast and top your salad with garbanzo beans or falafel. But then pay attention to how you feel throughout the day. Do you feel energized or sleepy? How satisfied are you after eating? Does your digestion feel more sluggish or more efficient? How soon do you get hungry again? Are you cruising through those workouts or feeling underpowered? Again, all of these can be clues to your ideal dietary approach. And finally, it's important to consider what besides your health really matters to you. Are you a competitive athlete? 
an environmental warrior? Is food and cooking a really important part of your social and cultural rituals or something just to be dispensed with as quickly as possible? Your diet needs to align with more than your DNA. It also has to be harmonious with your other priorities and values. So it's time for the bottom line, and I actually have two bottom lines for you today. Number one, our genes and microbiome may hold some clues to which dietary approaches will produce the best biological response, but few of us make dietary decisions based only on our biological needs. A reasonably healthy diet that you can happily and comfortably sustain is going to be better than the biologically perfect diet that you can't or won't follow. And bottom line number two is this, the details don't matter if the basic foundation is missing. You don't need a microbiome analysis or a DNA test to know that cutting back on added sugars, refined carbohydrates, and other highly processed foods, and eating more nutritious whole foods will improve your health. Thanks so much to registered dietitian Nancy Teeter for posting the comment that sparked this week's episode. If you have comments or questions about this episode or nutrition in general, I'd love to hear from you. You can post your thoughts on my Facebook page or call the Nutrition Diva listener line at 443-961-6206. I truly love to hear from you. I'll be back next week with a roundup of the last year's best and worst ideas in nutrition. Our show is produced by Nathan Sems, edited by Karen Hertzberg, and our team at Macmillan Audio also includes Morgan Ratner, Kate Hines, Emily Miller, Michelle Margulis, and our director, Kathy Doyle. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week.